Welcome back to the DHF podcast. It's been weeks since I talked last with Sam and Wayne, and amazingly, we're all wearing the same thing and in the same location as we were last time. So we want to welcome you back to the podcast, and we're kind of titling this Hiring Part 2. Whatever side you have been on in trying to fill that void in a church leadership team and leading for it, looking for a lead pastor, um... You know that casting lots doesn't always pan out. So we're looking back to Wayne today to talk about this subject. And with me today is also Sam Sears. Uh, Both of us are on the DHF board. Hello, Sam. Hi, Scott. And pro tip for all the Zoomers out there. Uh, Oh, wait, that could be an age thing, can it, too? Well, those who use Zoom, yeah, don't wear an Hawaiian shirt with lots of grids because it looks weird. So I, I can't help but call it out. I'm sorry. Um, But I'm so glad to be back with you. It it has indeed been so long. And I'm so glad that we have our fun DHF uncle. Is that what we decided that he was going to be? Wayne with us so that we can. uh, He's been in ministry much longer than Scott and I have even been alive. And I'd like to point that out. But we are so thankful for his years of experience. And he's helped tons of churches with this as well. Uh, So I know he called me when I was a newbie here at then called First Christian, now called The Fountain. And so I would love, Wayne, for you to just help us pass some information along to elders or maybe that guy who's looking for that next pastoral role where God is calling him. I want to point out that if you're you're going to get into age-related matters, notice the old guy is the one who knew we were doing a video today, and so I wore something that wouldn't conflict with the camera. Just pointing it out. All right? Good point. Yeah, all right. So let's have a chat as if you are, and I'm going to speak to both sides of the issue here today. If you're a person looking to fill the role as the lead pastor, the senior pastor, whatever, and I've got a comment or two yet about those titles, um, but you're going to go in and you're going to be the one that is in charge of the church from a staff point of view, or you hope to be in charge, because who who are we kidding? Sometimes you go into those settings and you're not in charge at all. That's a different matter altogether. So (laughs) as a matter of fact, it's my experience that everybody going into the church thinking they're in charge, you're not. Not for a long time, but we'll come to that too yet as we talk about that today. So if you're hiring a pastor or you're in, you are a a candidate for a pastoral role, sort of a, the, the charge person, three things you have to think about as to what, what are you going to do. It's rare to find elders or search teams. It's rare to find a candidate who is strong in the three primary demands or three, three primary roles of a lead person. You want them to be strong in administrative stuff. You want them to be strong in pastoral care. And you want them to be strong in the pulpit. It's very rare to find somebody who can do all three of those endeavors at an excellent level that you, and so somewhere along the line, you have to decide which of those three are the most important for us, preaching, admin, or pastoral care. Part of the problem that elders face or search teams face is they had a guy who was really strong in in preaching, but he was terrible at admin. So they got the next person we hired, they've got to be an administrator. And so they hire somebody who's really a strong administrator and is terrible in the pulpit. And six weeks in, everybody's going, oh, this is awful. Church is awful. So you don't swing the pendulum. Or, you know, the last guy never went to any nursing home. And you go, we're going to hire somebody who goes to nursing homes. And the next thing you know, uh, that that 
pastors spending 30 hours a week at the nursing homes holding people's hands, not paying attention to the preaching responsibilities, and administration, that he or she doesn't even know what a telephone is, let alone emailing. I mean, so, so don't swing the pendulum back and forth because that's a problem with, with creating what I would say breaking the social contract between what the congregation expects from the first from the pastor and if you shift it up too much you got some problems so three things admin pastoral care and preaching which one do you think is most important i don't want to answer that for you but you have to come to some understanding of we're not going to find somebody unless it was me no i'm just teasing who's <laughs> strong in all three you gotta have a little bit of all three and then uh beyond that the greatest counsel I would give to elder, elder teams or search teams and to candidates is, can you think long-term? Can you see this man or this woman being here for 12 years, for 18 years? Can you see yourself serving that church for 12 or 18 years? Because here's what I'm quite convinced of. Long-term pastorates are far more healthy. They're very difficult. If they, they take a... They, they take a long time, but uh, it's far more healthy for the church if you can find the right fit for something to go on for a long time. And if you can give some thought to this with me as to how, what happens in a long-term pastor. If you could see yourself doing, okay, I'm going to go to so-and-so uh, First Christian Church, and it's a church of 175, or it's a church of 75. Can you see yourself there? Can you imagine yourself there for 18 years? Okay, so those sorts of questions, because here's what I'm aware of. Every pastor coming in has the honeymoon period. Uh, it might last one week. It might last one year. But I'm going to tell you, it ends. The honeymoon period ends, and by, if it, it will end within 18 months. Within 18 months, there's going to be something that you go, okay, I'm not on honeymoon any longer. And so the amount of trust that the congregation has in the pastor, in you as the candidate, or that you're as an as a elder team are willing to give to that pastor, that trust at the very beginning is very small. And it, at 18 months, it probably dips a bit, actually. Somewhere there's a, the honeymoon ends and the trust level dips. And the question is, can we then from now move forward and build greater trust between each other? So it's been my observation, both in my personal ministry career and also in looking and talking to lots of friends who've been in ministry for many years. Some general broad paint brushes of how trust develops and how um, longevity impacts that. You have, you have you got to get through that first crisis or whatever it is that's within the 18 months. That builds some trust. The, the next trust level goes probably about four years. After you've been there for about four years, people go, well, this this woman's hanging with us. She's, she's you know, her kids are now four years older or um, – she sat with us through so-and-so's funeral and so-and-so's wedding and all those. And so about four years in, the trust level increases. Then I would say about every three to four years thereafter, there's a new level of trust. And I lived through this, having served one church for the last 28 years, more than 28 years. Four years, then eight years, the trust level grows again. At some point, you stop being the employee. And we'll, I'll address that in a minute because in long established churches, you come in at first, you are the employee. But at some point along the way, you move from being an employee to actually being a part of the long-standing team and to where eventually you become the de facto leader. 
So it's somewhere around four years. There's a, a growth, another one at four to five. I mean, a, pardon me, at 18 months, then four years. And then somewhere around seven to eight years, there's a new development again. At 12 years, it's like, well, we, don't, we, we, we haven't had to do this for a long time. And at that point, the institutional memory of hiring a, a lead pastor has disappeared. What do we do? How do we get this woman? How do we get this man? I can't remember how we even did it. I, I hope she doesn't leave. I hope he doesn't leave because I don't know how we'd manage to. So, whereas if it's every 18 months, man, we know how to, we got the same team standing up doing, you know, doing it every 18 months. So, uh, four years, eight years, probably about 12 years. And then for me, I know something shifted at 18. At 18 years um, being here, I was in my early 50s. I was, uh, my kids were grown. And it's like, well, this guy might he might last in ministry, I suppose, which we, we can probably hang on with him for a little bit. So um, from the perspective of a pastor, you're always trying to build trust. And from the perspective of elders, you're trying to figure out how can we give more trust? And um, you've got to think of it this way. Uh, I don't have any chips. These are my keys, okay? These are my car keys. And I, if, if, if it was change, I'd have change in my pocket as I walk in the door. And I'm allowed to do a certain number of things just because they, I'm the new new person on the block. And they'll let me do some things. And if I if I use this change wisely, this leadership change, then um, if I invest it wisely, if we do an event that's successful, oh, man, they'll give me a little bit more change. If my first event is a bust and nobody comes and it costs $10,000 and nobody really, you've, you've done nothing to increase your leadership change, your your you're literally changing your pocket. And so you're always looking, can I take what I have and invest it in, in a win for everybody? Because as I do that, I get more wins. And can elders say, we're going to let this person invest in us? Um, so it's hard, though, I would say, for pastors, we want to grow quick. We want to get that change quick, that trust quickly. And elders don't want to give up that trust. Here's why. Most churches in America are um, smaller, so there are ways in which congregations work are, if you're under 100, it's very much that everybody has to be in agreement with everything. And uh, to get everybody to agree to have a particular candidate is a little bit tricky. And then as that candidate arrives, um, people are going, okay, so, um, you know, we had a new pastor 18 months ago. We had another one that before, four years before that. And the guy three, three, the, the, you know, the person who was in the role three years ago or four years ago had us do this big event and we started this big program and then he left and we're left holding the bag to try and keep that ministry going. And now, we, and that was a bust. And then there's another bust. And so the longer churches in existence, the less trust they have of clergy because clergy haven't stuck around long enough. So as you're, that's a long way, a long answer to say, as you're thinking about Applying for a role, or as somebody's, if you're on a search team, think long term. Think long term because it's so much more healthy. You because you build trust over years. I'll be quiet there. I got lots more things to say. But it sounds like you're saying or recommending to a pastor potentially coming in that they need to know their church history to help understand the trust. And maybe right. that's before they even take the job. Oh, this church has gone through a pastor a year. I need to keep that in mind if I really want to apply or. Right. Because did they, did they fire every pastor for the last three years after a year in or what happened that they went through three pastors in four years? 
That's helpful to know. There's a minefield there somewhere. Or the elder team that's doing the search team, they're going, why have we gone through three pastors in four years? That's not good. It's not healthy for our church. So there's got to be some uh, soul searching and some honest answers because often the church has refused to give trust and give they've given responsibility without authority. Sure. Often. You're responsible to make everything happen, but you don't get to make any choices. So that's a problem. So if that's uh, the, the all has to go to then the person who's applying has to say, I'm I'm willing to for a period of time be the employee because I'm performing functions for the church. At first, I am preaching, I am burying, I am marrying and baptizing. I'm doing that as and they could hire anybody to do that. And for me to move from being employed to being a pastor here with pa not just pastoral responsibilities, but a pastoral authority, that takes some time. You know, you mentioned a like a team besides just the elders, and I'm thinking I don't church polity is gonna be different, but in my mind in my mind, the elders are gonna be the one have the final say of picking that candidate and maybe presenting it to the congregation, uh, him, her, whoever. But who should be on the search team? Should that be broader than the just the elders? I know for me, it included uh, a couple elders, a couple deacons. Um, and then I also, there was an opportunity for the existing staff to interview me as the lead pastor before I came on. I think it, it depends on the church's polity. Definitely elders primarily, primarily have to be the ones leading it. If it's for a lead position, if it's for a secondary position, somebody under that, that's a different story, which we covered in our last podcast. Yeah. It happened many moons ago. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, when it comes to the lead role, definitely you need to have the elders engaged and, and anybody beyond that. Um, fair enough. But it's probably an elder, elder team responsibility. But if you've got 12 elders, Maybe you don't want 12 elders doing that process. You need to yeah. whittle that group down to about five who are then reporting back to the whole team at large. At least in the, uh, the uh, we're talking about making initial contact and figuring out this is our candidate, yeah. Um, going back to your first observation, Wayne, that uh, a pastoral candidate's gonna have the uh, ability lopsidedly being good or mediocre or bad at administrative pulpit work and pastoral care. Would a team, a, a, a church search committee, whoever it is, do the best work by beginning with the question, who are we and what are we already good at? To see, we should bring in a candidate to balance out that profile. What does that look like? That's that's a reasonable question. Um, and what what do we do well already? And that's going to be different based on probably the size of the church, the age of the church, the demographics of who's in the church. Sure. Um, to prescribe exactly how that's going to work, I, I think you have to look. You you know that from the front office, three things have to occur during the week. There has to be preparation for preaching and worship. There has to be systems in place that manage administrative care and there has to be system in place that manage pastoral care mm -hmm. so if you're weak in one of those how are we going to fix that if it's an employee and we bring an employee in who's really good at pastoral care then that means you've probably got administrative already taken care and you feel comfortable with preaching is lousy right 
Yeah. Unfortunately, invariably, past churches, they say, this is our candidate, and they bring that candidate in to preach, and he or she preaches one Sunday morning, and then there's a vote, and we go, well, of course the sermon, it better be good. Yeah, absolutely. One shot to get a new job, you better, if you can't, you can't knock it out of the park that day, but even if you do knock it out of the park, elders be aware, that doesn't mean that pastor's going to knock it out of the park every every weekend. Right. So, Well, I, I, as much as I think that is a good idea, assess what we bring to the table as a church, then find out what these candidates bring to the table. I think it also sets up a dynamic down the road of tension, healthy tension. But if he's good at that or she is good at that, then they prioritize that and they spend their time on that. And if a team doesn't recognize everyone brings something to the table and we're trying to balance the diet of what we offer uh, to this church to make sure it's healthy and mature, um, that could mean stress, but hopefully it translates into a healthy stress of challenge and acceptance and not one of tug of war. No, I want to invest more in pastoral care or pulpit or administrative. I think, again, I go back and say, be careful you don't swing the pendulum. I have a different who's ultimate strength beyond the shadow of doubt is pastoral care. I mean, he goes and sits at the hospital with people. I, I like going to the hospital, but if you're having surgery, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable sitting there for four hours with the family. I like to go in and have prayer with you before you go into surgery. I'll sit with the family for 15 minutes, you know, and say, here's my phone number. Call me when, when we get some answers. But this guy, one of my dearest friends, he, he finds it quite, Thrilling, if a thrill, maybe not thrilling, but really invigorating to sit there with the family. Whereas for me, that is just like I'm invading their space. This is their time. They don't. But he is going to leave ministry soon, uh, that pastoral role after many years. And I'm of concern that the person they might bring in behind him is not going to be so strong. Nobody is as strong in pastoral care as he is. And so the church is used to strong pastoral care. What happens if the next person in says, well, I don't give a flip if you're in the hospital. I wish you well. How you doing? Oh, you're, you're, having your, you're having your third heart attack. Well, how's that going for you? I'll pray for you. Click. That's not- <laughs> but I have heard stories like that. Absolutely. Oh, so. I have. And I, I, even, I even think about just today being a little different than even 20 or 30 years ago with uh, all the technology factoring into probably the admin part of this. Right. And a lot of our, our DHF churches, a lot of churches across America, they, they are smaller on the smaller side. And so while the preaching load has stayed the same, the pastoral care load has stayed the same and it's hard to manage those. I think the admin load has gotten a lot bigger now, even Mm -hmm. in smaller churches. And, And how do you, I, I don't. I wouldn't even begin to know how to explain maybe to a a group of older elders the amount of of tech based admin work that needs to be done now versus the past, and how that needs to be factored into expectations of the pastor's time or other staff, if possible. I agree. So my undergraduate degree was in business administration. So I was able to come to this church and say, look at the books and say, okay, we need to fix this portion of the books. We need to create some systems regarding how we manage things in the office. But can I tell you, that was in 1994, before the internet was even dreamt of. Well, it was dreamt of, but nonetheless. 
But when web-based ministry came along, dude, I was, uh, man, I was so out of my league. I'm so glad by that time, candidly, the church had grown enough that I just said to a staff member, create a website. Find out who do we need to hire, what what organization, company can create a website. And then when we went, I mean, I used to know how to turn on every light in the building. I used to know how to run the PA. I used to know all that stuff. But as the technology has increased, one of the greatest gifts that God gave me in ministry was somebody else could do that. Not the, and that's I'm not trying to be arrogant about that because I wouldn't have a word about servanthood yet as well. But you, you're right. You're right, Sam. That you, to do all three of those things now is increasingly difficult. And in a small church, man, how do you do get a website up and running? Because so many I look at our DHF church's websites on a regular basis, and some of them nobody's looked at them in five years. And on the one hand, I'm disconcerted about that, and you know, on the other hand, I go, well, what do you expect? I mean, they have. They're not privileged like I have been in more recent years to have the resources or the staff to manage that. So yeah, it's really really hard. Can I? Can I? Maybe that's an area where Scott, you mentioned current strengths. You know, maybe that's an area where you look inside the congregation and and you know the good old fashioned volunteer can help out. It can only do so much. But knowing knowing what volunteers you have might tell you what your needs are for that pastor's time or help yeah. you know. Can, can I? Can I, I would like to address one subject quickly uh, that I don't know that we do very well presently, and I'm not being the old guy in the room complaining at this point. I'm just an observation. Um, it seems to me that elders need to look for men and women who have attitudes of servanthood first. We follow Jesus, being in very nature. A servant, he, uh, very, very nature. God took on the attitude of a servant, the position of a servant. I'll, I'll mess up Philippians too if I try and quote it. So you just know what I'm talking about. But it seems to me that uh, elders' teams, search teams, and candidates would do be wise to take a look at what is your position on servanthood, not just lip service. But are you worried about the title? Are you worried about going into a church of 60 people and being named the senior pastor? I want to go, what for? How many pastors are there? What do you mean you want to be named lead pastor? How many pastors? Who, who, what other pastors are you leading? Can't you just be the pastor? Now, maybe I'm being a bit of a booger bear on this, but I just want to go. If you're worried about your title, then I want to go, okay, so how do you do with servanthood? How do you do if you're in the building at eight o'clock on Sunday morning and you notice somebody forgot to empty the trash. Does that bother you in the men's bathroom or are you willing to just pick it up and take it out yourself without pointing it out? Or if you get to the place where you're multi-staffed, are you willing, still willing to do the stuff you did when you were in early in ministry? Because um, no matter how many staff you eventually end up with working under you, I would contend they are not working under you. You are actually working under them. Your role, elders need to look for when it comes to this lead pastor, this main person, they need to look and say, how does this person manage servanthood? Talk to us about that. Because in the long run, that main person has to act as a, not only a servant to the whole congregation, but as a servant to all the staff. And if I could get you to think of it this way, if by God's grace, 
You get to go into a church or you get to hire a, a person who's going to be with us for the next 20 years, and our church is going to just thrive. That means the church is going to grow in spirituality and probably grow in growth, and, and we're going to be in this hiring process a little bit more, and we're going to have more staff, whatever the case may be. The person who is the pulpit person who was hired in the first place, his or her job is the responsibility to make sure everybody succeeds. So to make everybody succeed, it's not like we've got to hire more people just so that my tasks can, so I don't get to have to do the things that I used to have to do, but more so my job as, I'll just say it, my job as the lead pastor for First Christian Church, particularly when the staff grew in, in the last many years, my job was simply, can we then hire people behind me who will also stay a long time and who I can make sure they succeed? Because build a culture, make sure the person you hire is that lead person is such that he or she is a, a servant who says, whoever comes our way, my job is to make them succeed. Because here's what I learned if, as, I mean, I had a lot of staff. And if I could make them succeed, you know what happens? In the long run, I look brilliant. Man, 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 he hired a great person there. He and man, he just knows how to hire people. Well, frankly, that might be the case. I might hire, you know, dingbats. But nonetheless, if I can make them succeed, then in the long run, it's, can I serve them? And again, it goes back to this whole business of building trust and so forth. So I would suggest elders, take the long view. And it's really hard in older churches because we don't want to give up trust. We don't want to give up trust. I have one more comment, but I'll answer some questions before. I got a quick one. Uh, you know, I've been, been I've benefited from this. Lots of people benefited from this. Uh, my age and maybe a little older, a little younger. There is this attitude now. All right, we're an older church. We'll fix it all by hiring a young guy, and his mere presence will then bring in other young people. Do you have anything to say to that? Attitude from the very beginning, attitude of the search team, attitude of the candidates. And I'll tell you, just because you hire a 35-year-old with three young children doesn't mean a church is going to suddenly have a bunch of families with young children. Um, it might. It might. But there might be some people who are in their mid to late 50s who could offer you 10 to 15 years of really faithful, fruitful service with a maturity that a 30-year-old is not going to have. And um, I, uh, I'm quite convinced that the young is not necessarily the answer. Now, there's some ins and outs and some dynamics of that, but don't 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 box out what God can do. I appreciate that. We we've worked as a team to kind of slowly move in the direction that God has called us to move. But I, I did get that warning from other people when I got hired, and and I could see that. Um, and my, even my predecessor, he was here a long time, and there was the idea of, all right, we've hired a pastor, and he can fix all of our problems, rather than changing the internal culture and working together and moving forward. Yeah, because if the problems were there when before the new guy arrived, how do you expect the new guy who has very little change in his pocket, how do you expect him to be able to shift the systems enough with no trust that you couldn't fix it with the person who was there for three years before him or for 10 years before him or whatever the case, mm -hmm. um, then, and, and that person had a little bit of trust with the congregation. So now we're bringing a new employee. And I, it's, it's tragic what the story about churches, how we 
Uh, here's, here's my last observation about all this. It's about Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek tongue about this, but I think it may be wise. Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth as God, God incarnate, right? He grows, he waits 30 years before he starts his ministry. Why did he have to wait 30 years? I mean, I know we know the, the, the sociological and the theological issues of 30 years of, in, in Israeli, Israel, um, the ancient Israel um, culture, then you're an elder and all that sort of stuff. I get all that. But he's the son of God. Why did he start preaching when he was 18? He took the long-term view, which is interesting to me. And, and so he was old, and they hired the old guy. Um, you know, the old guy in their culture gets to be in ministry. And then he only does it for three and a half years, which is just my tongue in cheek. He's, he's got these 12 guys around, him, and he manages to care for them, watch over them for three years, and he goes, I've had it with you guys, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> why did he do why did he do ministry for 10 years? Or why didn't he do ministry for 15 years or 20 years? I would suggest. One answer to that tongue-in-cheek question might be, because to do ministry long-term is really, really hard. I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't have done it. Be careful where you go with that theologically. I'm, don't mess. Don't think I'm not. Just, I'm, I'm just thinking it's very interesting to me. The Son of God waits till he's older to start ministry. And then once he starts ministry, he does it for three and a half years. And then he says to a bunch of nincompoops, the disciples, you guys are in charge. What a crazy system. How absolutely absurd that the God of heaven says, you guys are in charge after just three and a half years. I trust you. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. How come our elders who are older, often or supposedly more mature, bring people in and they go, yeah, but we're not going to trust you. You have to be here 12 years before we trust you, before we trust you. There's something about the model of Jesus that after three years, he says, okay, you're in charge. There's a lesson there that I, one, that's funny. I don't want to do this anymore, maybe. <laughs> or maybe the other thing is that a model that we need to think about. I trust you guys as crazy as you are and as unprepared as you are. I'm going to leave the whole fate of my message and the salvation of humanity's history is in your hands. That's a fascinating thought to think about. Absolutely. Well, Wayne, I really appreciate your insight in the uh, two-part series and hiring. Um, if anyone out there has a question or a comment they'd like to leave uh, about this conversation or maybe about future conversations we'd like to have, um, Go on over to discipleheritage.org and check us out and um, let us know what you're thinking. And we will see you next time.